Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Hello and welcome to Fast Talk. I'm your host, Chris Case, managing editor of Velo News, joined by someone who believes recovery is best done while reading the latest proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences Journal, Coach Connor. We all know how to train hard, tearing up a set of Tabatas, giving it our all at the local Tuesday night training race, or attacking someone from New Zealand on Zwift. That's what we do. But training, at least effective training, is actually a balance between stressing our systems and recovery. Remember that training does damage. It's in recovery that we repair and get stronger. This may be why several recent studies have shown that training based on our recovery level can be more effective than rigidly following a structured plan. This is also why Coach Connor loves to say, be as intense in your recovery as you are in your training. Train hard, rest hard. Yet, while there are a multitude of tools to measure our training stress, bike computers, power meters, heart rate straps, WKO, Golden Cheetah, Exert, the list goes on. The list of tools to measure recovery is not nearly as robust. But new players such as Whoop, which uses a combination of resting heart rate, heart rate variability, sleep, and strain to assess your daily recovery level are starting to tackle this very important side of the training stress balance. Today we'll dive into the recovery side of the training recovery concept and talk about, first, the fundamental principle of training, also called supercompensation. Secondly, how to know when the balance between training and recovery goes too far towards the training stress side and is leading to overtraining. Interestingly, it starts neurologically, which can express as changes in mood and motivation long before it shows up on the training ride. Three, we'll talk about ways to identify neurological fatigue both on and off the bike. Number four, next we'll dive into the recovery side of the equation and discuss ways of measuring recovery, including resting heart rate and heart rate variability. Next, we'll talk about why sometimes going into the red on the recovery score is necessary. And finally, we'll discuss the new Whoop Strap 3.0. Whoop is a sponsor of this episode, and Coach Connor and I are excited to have them as part of the show. This isn't the first episode where we preach the value of recovery, and Whoop is the one tool out there really focusing on that value. And their new strap is providing even better metrics, including their strain coach to help you decide when to push and when to pull the plug. We're extremely excited today to have our primary guest be none other than Kate Courtney, reigning world mountain bike champion, winner of the first two rounds of the World Cup this season, someone who has skyrocketed into the international mountain bike scene, and we're, we're really excited to sit down and talk with her today. Along with Kate, we talk with Hushang Omiri, past Canadian Olympic and national team coach and owner of the Pacific Cycling Center. Hushang has helped athletes such as world's silver medalist Swain Tuft by focusing on the value of recovery. Hushang will talk with us about ways he's used to assess it. We'll put in a past interview with Phil Guyman. We'll pull in a past interview with Phil Guyman, formerly of the World Tour, who talks about the importance of feel and knowing your own body. Finally, We'll pull in an interview with two top coaches in Colorado, Matt Casson with Apex Coaching and Frank Overton with FastCat Coaching. This interview was actually from episode 45 a few years back, but we talked about measuring recovery and it's an episode where Frank introduced all of us to the Whoop Strap. So kick your feet up, get that copy of the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences 
Sit back, relax, dim the lights. Let's make you fast. Today's episode of Fast Talk is brought to you by Whoop. We have to thank Whoop for bringing Kate Courtney onto the show. As you'll soon hear, she is a wealth of knowledge. Whoop is the performance tool that is changing the way people track their fitness and optimize their training. Whoop provides a wrist-worn heart rate monitor that pairs to the app and provides analytics and insights on recovery, strain, and sleep. Know when your body is recovered or when it needs rest by getting to know your nervous system through heart rate variability and quality of sleep. Automatically track workouts and get strain scores that let you know how strenuous training was on your body and see even more data like average heart rate, max heart rate, and calories burned. Get optimal sleep times based on how strenuous your day was and track sleep performance with insight into your sleep cycles and stages of sleep, sleep quality, and sleep consistency. And Whoop just released the new Whoop Strap 3.0, which includes new upgrades to hardware and locks a suite of new software features to their app. The Whoop Strap 3.0 now has five days of battery life and improved strap and live heart rate monitoring in addition to a handful of new in-app features that help to optimize the way you train. Whoop has provided an offer for our listeners to get 15% off their purchase with the code FASTTALK. That's F-A-S-T-T-A-L-K. So get those double T's in there. Just go to whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P. Dot com And again, use the code FASTTALK, F-A-S-T-T-A-L-K, at checkout to save 15% and optimize the way you train. Well, it's, it's a privilege to have Kate Courtney on the show today. World champion, two-time World Cup winner this season alone. She started off with a bang. Welcome, Kate Courtney, to Fast Talk. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Today, we want to talk to Kate about when to pull the plug, when to push through. And Trevor has a, a, a good story that sort of sets the tone for what we want to talk about today. So I'll, I'll kick it over to Trevor now. Just so folks listening out there know, I'm in Boulder, Kate's in California, Trevor's in Toronto, so we're all over the world right now. And can I just say how committed I am to Fast Talk right now? The Raptors game has just started, the NBA. Oh, man. All of Toronto is watching it, and I'm sitting here recording. Oh, (laughs) that's so sad, Sacrifice. So... Yeah, let's let's start. This could very well be an urban legend. This was something that I was told 10, 15 years ago. I truly hope that this is a real story, but I've never confirmed it. So could be urban legend. But I was told a while back that one of the reason German cyclists were absolutely dominant back in the, the 80s and 90s was because so every morning they would go down to the lab and they, the, the doctors and the physiologists would do this battery of tests on them and then tell them, you know, you're, you're not fully recovered. You need to rest today. Or, you know, you're, you're in a great place. You're recovered. Go out, do some solid interval work. I, that was the reason I was told that the, the Germans were so dominant, that every day they based their plan based on where their physiology was at. And like I said, I hope that's a true story. But it really resonates with something that, that's important to me. And Chris, you know this because I've, I've coached you. 
I am not a believer in that six-week block, let's map every day out, because there's no way we are going to know how you're going to feel five Wednesdays from now. And I can map out the perfect training plan and say, this all fits together. But that Wednesday, you might not have gotten much sleep. Your kid might have kept you up all night. You might have had an argument with your boss. And getting up that Wednesday, you're tired, you're not fully recovered, you didn't eat well, and whatever was on the plan was the wrong thing. So be able to adjust, be able to say, here's where I'm at today. I either should move ahead with the plan or I need to adjust the plan or I just need to do nothing today is I think one of the most powerful things you can do in training. And that's really what this whole episode is about. It's how to know when you you look at the plan and go, yep, let's move ahead with today or when to say, nope, that's that's now the wrong thing today. Let's adjust. I uh, hate to think that the Germans might have been doing something else, and that's why they were so dominant, but I like the fact that taking what they may have had, the information and data that they may have had, if they did actually use a team of physiologists to conduct a battery of tests every morning and, and let athletes know is incredibly powerful to think about, making those adjustments on a day-to-day basis. Obviously, we can't do that. The average person can't do that. Most of the top athletes in the world aren't training in centers like this anymore. But what we want to talk about today is trying to answer that question. How do you determine what you can and cannot do? When to pull the plug? When to push through? And let's quickly talk about why this is important. I'm going to do my quick bit of physiology. I'm going to give you the the Trevor nerd bomb. uh, And then I'll let you guys take it and kind of talk about ways to do this, ways to know when to pull the plug and, and really give the practical side. But the reason this is so important goes to what you, you've heard me say many times on this show, which is the fundamental principle of training is this concept of overload, which is you need to hit your body with a level of stress that's beyond what your body can normally handle. And then you need to rest and let your body adapt. The whole idea is in training, you do damage. So when you go out and do those interval works, you're not, you don't come back from that, that interval session stronger. You come back from that interval session damaged and weaker. If you do enough stress, your body says, boy, that hurt. I didn't like what you did to me. So I need to repair this. But not only am I going to repair it, I'm going to repair you stronger and tougher. So the next time you hit me with that sort of load, I can handle it. And I don't have to go through this sort of pain again. That's really the fundamental principle of, of, of training. If you don't do enough stress, your body's just going to say, yeah, you did a little damage, but I can handle that. So I'm just going to repair you back to where you were before. So as cyclists, we're really good at that idea of let's go and just absolutely destroy the legs. I've met very few cyclists who aren't good at destroying themselves. But the flip side is that recovery. It's that time when you let the body rest and rebuild and repair and repair stronger. And we'll, we'll get into the particulars, but talking about this, this overcompensation or this overload principle is really interesting. I found a study where they took 26,000 users on Strava and analyzed their data for, for a year. I'll, we'll put the, the reference up for this study on the website, but I think it was around 2011 that they did this. And one of the things they found in that study was that there was no correlation between people's performance, and they were using hill climb performance, how they were doing on uh, Strava segments as a way of measuring uh, whether athletes were improving or, or not. And there was absolutely, they found basically no correlation between effort and performance, meaning if you just trained harder, your performance didn't improve. 
what correlated with improvements in performance was overcompensation. This idea that they trained really hard for a period, then they backed off and recovered. Then they trained really hard again, and then they backed off and recovered. That's where they found the correlation, not the overall effort. And sometimes they found that the people that improved the most actually didn't do the biggest effort. This is where we get into something that I'm, I'm a really big believer in, and I say this to my athletes all the time, that you need to be as intense in your recovery as you are in your training. The, the two go hand in hand. So the more damage you do, the more stress you do, the more you need to make sure your recovery is effective. So another thing I often say to my athletes is there's no such a thing as overtraining. There's just under recovery. And often we just don't focus enough on that recovery side. It's amazing to me how simple that is, but how few people take it to heart and get it, at least in my experience. No, I love the no overtraining, just under recovery idea. And that's something I work with Jim Miller and I've worked with him for the past three years. And when I started training with him, I started training a lot harder than I was before and a lot harder than I really thought was possible. But um, he basically just has the philosophy that if you're really treating the recovery as important and you're taking it seriously and you're balancing the huge strain with adequate recovery and, and more important often than physical recovery for me is the mental side and just making sure that you have the overall life balance and that you're resting mentally and, and staying motivated and training and that your easy days are mentally really easy and your hard days are often more intense for me than race days. But I think that's that's a really great concept and I think it's taught me to not, not be afraid to push it. The last thing I'm going to say on the physiology side, and then we can talk about ways of identifying this, this balance between stress and recovery is critical. And if you're overbalanced towards the recovery side, you're just going to start detraining or you use that to, to peak a little bit. But when you're overbalanced towards the stress side, that's when you start getting stale. That's when, that's when overtraining and burnout starts to set in. And, and those are the things that you need to watch for. And unfortunately, as much as we would like this, there is no graph in Training Peaks or any other software that says ahead of time, here's the perfect level of stress. Sometimes you, you can look, you have in, in Training Peaks ATL and CTL, and these all tell you how much you're stressing yourself. There are some weeks where you can hit an ATL of 800, and that's actually not too bad a week. Other weeks where ATL, an ATL of 800 because of other things going on in your life is absolutely going to knock you to the floor. Mm -hmm. This is, again, why you can't just plan it out ahead of time and say, boy, this looks like the perfect amount of, of stress in a couple weeks to get me to where I need to be because it might not be the perfect amount when you get there. And Kate, you actually touched on something really important, which is the whole mental side. We actually, we did, this was episode 38, where we talked uh, a bit about fatigue. And one of the, the big theories right now is that fatigue starts centrally versus peripherally, meaning a lot of people think that when you're starting to burn out, when you're starting to fatigue, it's in your muscles. That's actually not where it starts. It starts in your central nervous system. So that expresses as mental fatigue. It expresses as depression. Other ways it can express, which we'll talk about in a minute, is just not be able to go as hard because your, your whole neural system is just kind of shutting down in a way. So you really need to watch for that mental side. And if you're seeing your mood change, that's one of the actual early indicators. Yeah. And, and I actually think this is a, an interesting thing to mention as well, because I've thought a lot about this and, and worked a lot with 
my coaching team on this, but um, I work really closely with a sports psychologist. Who, her name's Kristen Kahn. She works with a lot of cyclists. But one of the interesting things she said when I first started doing these huge blocks, I'd be doing you know, 20, 25 hour weeks. And, and this is coming from someone who was previously when I was in college, I'd have three rest days a week. So having this big volume um, and, and just training at that level was was really new for me. And she actually mentioned that idea of the mental stress and like basically planning to have like a day of feeling depressed after a really hard training block. And, and we actually would like acknowledge that ahead of time and plan for it. And so I'd be like, okay, I have this really hard block and I have this rest day. And I'd make sure that day I had lunch with a friend or I went and got my nails done or I, I planned to do a hike or just something different and fun. And, and knowing that that day was not just physical recovery, but it was a day to kind of figure out how to recharge that central nervous system and to address those imbalances that develop when you're, you're really deep in a training block. Well, that's great. And yeah, when I was working with Chris, getting his nails done, that was critical. Yes. <laughs> Sparkle walks. Yes, it indeed. Sparkle walks. <laughs> it does. So that begs the question then, what can you do or how can you tell? We kind of made a list here. And Kate, thanks for your help with this. And, and let's go into each ones. But just quick rundown of the list. We talked about that central fatigue. And we'll talk a little bit about the palm scale. There's looking at power to heart rate. There's that loss of neuromuscular power. Uh, one thing I look for in intervals is, is the quality sufficient? And then there's one that's, a uh, Kate, uh, okay, I'm going to love to hear what you have to say about this, but, you know, intervals hurt. When you go out and do hard training, it hurts, but there's good pain and there's bad pain. And how do you know which is which? Well, just a brief recap of some of the things we talked about in episode 38, some of those indicators of central fatigue, such as the palms, the questionnaire that measures mood states and is a pretty simple survey of of your mood, depression, anxiety, things like that, and how that actually can correlate quite well with your recovery state. And perhaps you could add a bit to that, Trevor. Yeah, I, you know, I would say we did a whole episode on this. And again, that was episode 38 that talked about actually there's a pretty good correlation between some of the, these mental tests and your recovery level. One of the most popular is this POMS test. It's P-O-M-S. You can find that anywhere on the web. And it's not a bad thing to do every once in a while. And it can tell you when you are starting to get mentally stale. And that's one of the very early signs that you're, you're starting to fatigue. You're starting to, to overtrain. Yeah, I think the mental side is is really important to me. And I think just overall life balance and, you know, how, how well you feel like you're doing in your life overall can be a really good indicator of how well you're handling your recovery. And and luckily, you know, for me, I am a professional cyclist. I do get to structure my days around training. And so a lot of it for me is recognizing when those signs of mental fatigue, of central nervous fatigue might show up and really planning around them. So if you know that you're going to be in a state of training really hard and you can kind of take a night off, eat in, go to bed early, those types of things can mitigate the negative effects of that. Whereas, of course, you know, if you're planning a huge training week and maybe you have a job and you have a really important presentation that day, like it's important to understand that all of these things contribute to stress and stress is training. So 
for me, it's, it's looking at the complete kind of system. And, and of course, I have a lot more control than a lot of people might over those life stressors. But um, those tend to be a really important part for me of managing overall load and really protecting my time and my energy when I am in those huge training blocks. It's great to hear you talk about how any stress is is a, a stress on your body and needs to be taken into account because that's a message we've spoken about uh, numerous times on this show. I, I'm curious if through your team of coaches or working directly with Kristen, if she's actually given you a, almost like a checklist of things to go through to assess your state. I, I assume you don't regularly take uh, the POMS survey, for instance, but do you do something other in a more, more casual way to sort of just go through and say, what's this like, what's this like, what's this like, and, and take a survey? Yeah, I would say nothing uh, so formal. I do a lot of recovery things, and one of those is I meditate every day, and I think that level of self-awareness that I get from that helps me understand where I'm at with training. But I think for me, the biggest thing is communication. So when I'm in a really hard training block, understanding what the goal is. So for example, right now we just had our season break. So I had a week off. That's my like big period of time to really focus on that central nervous system stress that builds up throughout the first half of the season and really get back to baseline and rest kind of all at once. And and that actually I've found works better for me. Different things work for different people. Some people take one day off a week or one week off a block or or something. But for me, it's really like that one week does a lot. But now I'm in a really hard block. And and when things are supposed to be that challenging and we know we're pushing the edge, I think just having really clear communication with my team and having my coach and my nutritionist and my sports psychologist in particular all be in contact and understanding, okay, we're really pushing the edge here. How's Kate doing? And they'll all check in with me and make sure each person kind of has different things they remind me of. Oh, make sure you're doing this, make sure you're doing that. And I think having that team around me really encourages me to think really critically about how I'm managing my recovery and understand when it's okay to be a little over the edge and when we need to pull back a bit. I think Kristen refers to that as your, as your village. My village. Yeah. Gotta have a good village. I have an athlete I coach who it's very hard to burn him out physically. He actually is one of these athletes who really doesn't need to take an off season. He can just keep going all year round. But anytime he starts to push burnout, it is completely mental. And what I've discovered with him is he doesn't really need a break physically, but a couple times a year we need a break mentally. And when, when that, I start to see that coming, it's get off the bike, go out, spend a week partying, eat bad food, just mentally <laughs> completely disconnect yourself. And he comes back refreshed and ready to go every time. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in that camp. Not the partying camp. I'm not really much of a partier, but uh but I'm definitely in the the mental rest camp. And I think we found ways to really hack that. So one of the ways we hack that is when I'm in big volume block, we have come up with the happy hour ride. So <laughs> The happy hour ride, I think, is the key to recovery. It's We leave at 6, and usually it's a couple buddies that live nearby or my boyfriend when he gets off work. You leave at 6, you ride to the top of the mountain on your mountain bike, you have some kind of beverage. I'm gluten-free, so I, I usually have like a cider <laughs> or sparkling water if I really – if it's too much. And you descend down really fast, and it's a 45-minute ride. And that, for me, 
is like the best form of recovery ever because it reminds me it's, it's riding my bike, but it reminds me what I love about riding my bike, which is getting out, getting to the top of this mountain, being with my friends and, you know, we just laugh and catch up the whole time. And for me, that actually serves a huge training purpose because, you know, granted, if I do it a couple of times a week, it's an extra hour and a half of volume. It's high speed descending on my mountain bike, which is something that's a goal for me this year to practice. And, you know, like adding in a, an extra 1500 feet of climbing, but really I finished the ride feeling more recovered and mentally refreshed than I started it. And I think that if you can find something that does that for you, it might not be riding your bike. It might be something completely different. It might be yoga or going for a hike or having lunch with a friend. But those types of things are always valuable. And Jim has recognized that. And is, he basically writes on my training schedule, like, as many times a week as you want to do the happy hour ride, go for it. And that's been <laughs> really helpful. He, he plays to his audience. <laughs> That's really important. In my early days of coaching, I was all about the training plan. I was all about everything's got to be structured. Everything's got to be purposeful. And I learned really quickly with my athletes, you need to have those fun rides. You need to have that unstructured stuff. You need to have that stuff that's mentally refreshing. It can't all just be, how's this contributing to, to TSS and, and creating nice charts? Yeah. And sometimes I will say that leveraging what's fun, and, and we have the joke, hashtag on our team fun is fast but I actually think there's something to that uh, understanding what gets you excited to ride your bike and leveraging that can actually pay off big time in the numbers so I have often in the fall will text Jim and say hey a bunch of my friends are doing this adventure ride and they're doing this fire road we've never done and and we'll end up riding six hours instead of four and I'll like beg him to do those rides and I, I think it's a fun adventure I get to do but really those are the days that add up in terms of quality of training and where I can get huge volume in without the mental stress of if he put a six hour ride on my train schedule, I'd call him and be like, why'd you put this on my schedule? What am I supposed to do? But if it's an adventure and I want to do it, all of a sudden it's this huge advantage and this really fun thing, but also really valuable intentional training. That's pretty cool. I caught up with former Canadian Olympic and national team coach and also my old coach who now runs a Pacific Cycling Center, Hussein Amiri. He was always big on knowing when the body isn't ready for training. I asked him his thoughts on when to push and when to pull the plug. Do you feel that uh, a committed, serious cyclist should always follow the plan no matter what? Or do you think there are times when you go out, you have intervals on your plan, you start to do them and you say, no, those aren't right today. And, and, and you turn around. Should, should you always do them if they're on the plan or is there times to say no? There's times to say no. Absolutely. Even coaches with experience and all the technology on the hand, they're trying to control the aspects of the fatigue, how body's functioning, but at least they know their body the best. And definitely I go with second options. Okay. So then here's the second question for you, because intervals always hurt no matter what you do. So how do you know when you're just feeling the normal hurt and you push through versus how do you know when to say something's not right today, turn around, go home? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, with, if we, we are looking at the high end, you know, high intensity or anaerobic intervals, usually what I ask athletes, your first one going to be about 95 to 98%, not, you're not doing 105% effort and you're, while you're doing this effort, 
you're going to take a look at your heart rate and power numbers. There is a norm that we know and they know. If you're pushing 380 watts and your heart rate is maxing, that's something wrong with that day. And sometimes even before that, when they're waking up, uh, taking their resting heart rate or their heart rate variability in the morning, the stress level should be should indicate the stress level. But usually for intervals like that, I suggest definitely to do one test run. And if numbers are not what we are looking for, you may they may do one more. And if both two tests before starting interval sessions is indicating that numbers are off, they are not doing any intervals at that day, and usually they go for easy ride. So only thing I'm going to add to that is you work with very high-level athletes. So for a lot of the people listening, if you're doing 380 watts and seeing max heart rate, you're spot on. For, for the athletes that, that Hushang's working with, not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, just had to, had to throw that in there. Let's get back to the show and ask Kate the same question. So let's get back to some of these ways that you can tell you, you get on the bike, you're heading out for a ride, and you can say, there's, there's balance between stress and recovery. I'm on the wrong side of it. I, I have too much stress. I'm not recovered enough. And it, it's time to pull the plug. And we've been talking a bit about central nervous system fatigue, which is one of the places it, it shows up right away or shows up first. So you want to look for those indicators. And I'm just going to give a couple and then maybe you guys can talk to these. But one of them that, that's been around for a while is if you have a power meter and a heart rate strap, you look at your heart rate relative to power. When you have central nervous system fatigue, your heart rate's going to be sluggish. So if you're doing 200 watts and you look down and go, boy, normally my heart rate's 155 and right now I'm barely breaking 145, that's a real good indicator of fatigue. You have to look for other indicators. If it's pouring rain out, that's going to drop your, your heart rate a bit too. But if you're also feeling a little fatigued and you're seeing that depressed heart rate, that's a good indicator you're not ready. Another really good indicator, and there's this great 2014 study that really showed this, that again, we'll post showing a, a drop in neuromuscular power. So that's your kind of five, 10 second power. If you go out and do these hard efforts and you just can't hit the power you normally hit, that's an indicator, again, of neuromuscular fatigue. And, and what was really interesting about the study is they tried to overreach athletes. Um, so basically overtrained them and showed by the end of the study, all the athletes felt lousy. They were all a little overtrained. They were all a little overreached. But the ones that could still hit the power, they saw big improvements. The ones who couldn't hit the power at the end of this didn't see improvements. And so the the, the last indicator, and then you guys take this, is I always tell my athletes, if you go out to do your interval work and you just can't hit the intensity you normally hit, whether it's average power or I might have athletes go and do hill repeats and, and look to do a, a certain segment in a certain length of time. If you can't hit the wattage, if you can't hit the speed or the time, that's usually an indicator that you're not recovered and it, it, it's time to turn around and, and go home. But Kate, what's, what are the things that you use? How do you know when you go out for a ride that, boy, I'm not ready for the intervals I have on the plan today. I'm, I'm turning around. 
the discussion of all these different ones is, is something important to note that there's just a lot of indicators. And so for me, it's about using all these data points to really paint a picture of my recovery and not just on one given day, but kind of in the aggregate. So if I have many days consistently where I'm under recovered, that's a different scenario than if I just have one day where I maybe am tired from the day before. So really kind of keeping a good handle on these data points and, and understanding over time how they're changing helps me get any given day. But I would say in terms of like going out for intervals, I usually can tell on my warmup how I'm feeling. And often for me, it will be really high heart rate if I'm not as recovered. So if I go out and do my warm up and my heart rate just skyrockets, uh, it, it's a pretty good indication that it might not be a great day. And then it becomes a consideration of the quality of the training and the value. It's pretty rare that I turn around and go home, but it has happened this year. We had a, a really high intensity workout and I remember like looking at the numbers and be like, man, this, I don't think I can do this, but uh, you know, Jim has basically never been wrong. So I'll give it a whirl. And and I texted him and I was like, man, these numbers look really high. And, and he texted me back and said, uh, you know, like visualize today is like a world cup. It's the day. And I'm like, okay. So I got to do this workout and by interval two, I just, I'm cr- like, just sobbing at the end of the interval. And and that for me, it's a very funny thing, but anyone who's like really pushed that hard knows that feeling of like, you're not upset and you're not like, it's just your body's response. You just like start crying. Uh, and for me, whenever I start crying in the interval, I'm like, okay, this is not good. This is like, that's not normal. Normally I will feel better or at least just be really tired and, and feel accomplished at the end. So call Jim. Uh, he tells me to go home because if I can't hit the numbers, it's not worth doing for a really high intensity ride. So I go home, I'm really bummed about it. And then I get a call later. And what had happened is I hit some numbers in a race and my FTP on training peaks auto adjusted. Uh, and Jim was like, Oh, I'm going to go. He's like, I'm going to go in and recheck that. And he was getting on a flight and he, for he like somehow didn't go in and recheck it. And so the numbers were like, you know, 15% higher than they maybe should have been. (laughs) So I I basically killed myself on that workout. But it was very humbling and like was a really hard day. And what ended up happening is, you know, that workout was my nemesis. And the next time I did it, I actually ended up, you know, two weeks later, I I was really recovered and ready to go. And I actually hit the numbers from the first workout. And that was right before I went to the World Cup. So I would say, you know, having the understanding of like when something is wrong and knowing, okay, you know, if you're crying at the end of an interval, I don't know what it is for you. That's like my tell, but something is not going well. And having the courage and the the confidence to trust that, go home and be ready to completely smoke that interval then maybe the next day, maybe the next week. Sometimes those days can be the most important in your entire season. I think, yeah, you've made several really important points. Again, some things that we've spoken about on the program in the past that you, you started off by saying how a lot of these indicators have to be taken collectively. It's not just one thing you look at, but I can tell, and I think Trevor would agree that you are really an athlete who knows themselves really well. And you are thinking about this stuff and you're cognizant of all of these indicators and you're Um, synthesizing it as you're riding and trying to understand what it means. And I think 
the more people can do that out there in the world, the better an athlete they can become because these things are, they're complex, they're hard to understand, but the more you uh, pay attention to them, the better you get at understanding what they mean. The other thing I'd like to point out is that feeling when you're out there and you're doing a workout and maybe your coach told you to do it and you're feeling like, oh my God, this is really hard. What do I, should I pull the plug? Should I not pull the plug? That hesitation about if I don't do it, is that going to hurt my training because I actually should push through today? You have the luxury in some ways of being able to text a world-class coach and say, hey coach, uh, what do I do? Not everybody has that. So maybe I turn it over to Trevor and say, what what should people go through um, before they make that decision? They they uh, assess all that they can. I guess one thing I'd say is you, you're not going to blow your season if you skip a single workout. Is that is that true, Trevor? <laughs> no, no single ride is going. No single ride is going to make your season. But going out and truly destroying yourself on the wrong day that could get you get your way off track. So in, to some degree, you need to err. A little bit on the side of caution, but but Kate, I think you hit on the key word, which was if something feels wrong, because when you go out and do interval work, it should hurt. Uh, when I give my athletes really high intensity work, like a, let's say a Tabata workout, the 2010s, the way I describe it to them is halfway through this set, you should be praying that an asteroid hits the the planet and destroys it because that's <laughs> preferable to suffering through another two and a half minutes of this. It should hurt, but if you're going out and doing them and going, yes, this hurts, but something about it feels wrong. It's not the normal type of pain. Something's off. I generally tell my athletes, trust that, or that's where I tell my athletes, give me a call and, and let's talk about it. But if it feels off, if it feels wrong, if you just can't hit the numbers, that's where you start to say, I shouldn't be pushing through today. The stress recovery is not in balance. And better to go home, get some rest, and, and as you said, Kate, attempt this tomorrow or in two days or, or readjust the plan with my coach. The other major point, obviously, here is that you have to know that the numbers that you're trying to hit are achievable and they're not way off. <laughs> like you said, those yeah. numbers may yeah. have been 15% off and, 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 that, and that's not good. But if somebody is out there is calculating numbers themselves or, or trying to hit targets that are way off what they should be, that's not good either. So knowing knowing your data is sound is is crucial here. Completely. And that was a fluke, a fluke moment. But I will say, uh, while that day I was able to get a hold of Jim, he is also notorious for ignoring calls when his athletes are on really hard rides. Like he will actively like decline calls. And I've had a lot of moments, <laughs> it's a tactic, but I've had a lot of moments where you have to stop and think, is this hard? This is hard. It's supposed to be hard, but is this hard in the right way? And I think getting to the point where you can make those calls for yourself, because ultimately when I call Jim, I'm giving him information to lead him kind of to a conclusion. So if I call him and say, something's really wrong, I shouldn't be doing this workout. How can we adjust? That's very different than calling him just because it's challenging. And so I think as I've gotten kind of more mature as an athlete, the, those calls have gone down and I've understood that it's really my call. And if I can push through that, I should, and no one can do that for me and, and no one can really make that call for me. A few years ago, I did an interview with now ex-pro Phil Gaiman. 
who's probably more famous now for his Strava hill climb hunting, and books like Ask a Pro, Deep Thoughts and Unreliable Advice from America's Foremost Cycling Sage. I was interviewing Phil about advanced metrics and got a surprising answer that led to a conversation about recovery and knowing the feel. Here's the highlights. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a believer that all that stuff is bullshit and you should learn your body. That's, that's where I'm going. It's, it's kind of like weather. Like until I don't look at the weather forecast so much because until you can factor in everything, you can't really tell me what the weather's going to be. So you can guess, you know, you can guess how somebody's going to feel or you could just sit there and think, Here's how I feel. You know, here's what's been going on lately. Here's, you know, and you can't lie to yourself. You can, you can say, you know, if, if and, and different things make you feel differently. So you can, you know, had to break up with a girlfriend. I'm, I'm 30 watts down. A friend of mine breaks up with a girlfriend. He's 40 watts up. Like, it's just, you have to know. And, and that doesn't, you can't, you can't put numbers to any of it, really. And you can't really, or you can't expect it. And so, so when I got here from, from Utah, like, all evidence would have said four days easy. You just did a stage race, an overseas trip, but it's really nice out. I haven't been to Girona in a while. I wanted to go on my favorite rides. I felt good, and I I went straight into a thirty hour week, just cruising, and felt fine. I was I was always ready to cut it off and, and go home and take a nap, but I I didn't. It was it was nice. Um, and then I woke up one day. I was like, okay, now I'm shut it down for a couple days. <laughs> so it's know yourself. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, and that's practice. That, I mean, that goes back to the race weight thing when you look at. So I guess I have two questions for you. One is how can a more inexperienced, I mean, you've been training for years. You know your body inside out. For somebody who's just a year or two into this, how can they learn themselves uh, to start making these judgments calls? So that'd be the first question. Um, I mean, Yeah, you can say that people aren't that experienced, but they have been alive. Like, you should know how, you know when you're sick, you know, you know when you're tired, you know when you're hungry, you eat, you know when you're, I, I think, I think you go on the bike and you have, I, I would say looking at heart rate makes more sense. Yep. Um, that's, that's sort of a thing. You can look at your, your resting heart rate in the mornings, but you can kind of just, I guess the answer would be think about how you feel. And then that, that would be, that, that's the first step would be just, when I get up in the morning, do I, I, I think, like, you know, I'll walk around the apartment, like, do my, do my legs feel like they want to do sprints, or am I effed? You know, like, it's not, it's not there's a lot of gray area, you can tell. Um, or you go out on the bike, and you start doing a climb, and it's like, eh, they're not, my heart rate's not responding today, you know, I'm, I'm going slower than my friend, who I'm usually going faster than, or, or whatever, and you kind of just listen. Any other suggestions? But I love that, that idea of get up in the morning, see how you feel, see how you feel out in the ride. Yeah, I think thinking about how you feel, thinking about your, your factors, thinking about, like, if you have a kid and you, and you chase him around the street playing soccer or something, like, that will affect, if, if you effectively were running half an hour, if you missed a flight and you had to sprint across the airport, if you, just, if you, if you consider what your body has been through, if you went out binge drinking, like, yeah, guess what, you're... Your legs are going to feel that. Like, if you if you just consider the factors that are on you and you consider how you feel, I think you, you, it's not hard to figure it out. Uh, if you're a, you know if you're an adult, you can figure anything out. Now that we've talked about the feel, let's get back to the show and talk about ways of measuring recovery. 
All right, so let's turn this conversation around a bit and talk about how to measure recovery. We all know there's a lot of tools out there to measure stress, to measure training load, things like that. Obviously, that's only 50% of the equation when we're talking about supercompensation and, and all of that. So what are the tools that we have out there for measuring recovery? Yeah, and I think this is a, a really important point that we have all these amazing tools for measuring training stress, um, tons of software packages. We have garments, we have power meters, we have heart rate straps. The, the tools for measuring recovery, the whole other side of this equation, are relatively small and only really just starting to appear as something that a lot of people can use. So, you know, I would say the the old one, the one that's been around a while, is, is morning heart rate or resting heart rate, which has been shown to correlate somewhat with your recovery level. If you wake up and your resting heart rate's high, that's often a, a sign that you're not recovered. But it's not perfect. And I think the one that we, we really want to talk about that uh, is, is really starting to take off and is showing a lot of good correlation is what's called heart rate variability. And this is the, basically, they just measure the length of time between each beat and how variable is that length of time from beat to beat to beat. This goes back to that central nervous system stress. What controls our heart rate is our central nervous system. It's a balance. And I'll tell you, this gets really complex. Maybe we'll go into this in another podcast. So I'm just going to give you the Cliff Notes version. There's two sides of our nervous system. There's the parasympathetic, which slows down your heart rate, and the sympathetic nervous system, which speeds up your heart rate. And there's this constant balancing act between the two. And as a result, when they're kind of going back and forth, you're going to see a fair amount of variability between the length of your beats. So that's that increased heart rate variability. When the nervous system gets fatigued, you see less sympathetic activation, you see less parasympathetic activation, and your heart just kind of becomes this machine that's just kind of at a steady pace. It's just there, there's far less variability between the beats. There were actually these fascinating studies many years ago where they took the hearts, kind of gross, but they took the hearts out of frogs or disconnected them from the frog's nervous system, but kept the hearts beating and discovered when they were disconnected from the nervous system, the hearts would just automatically beat at 100 beats per minute. Hmm. So to get it below 100 beats per minute, you had to have a, really have the parasympathetic nervous system take over. To, to get heart rate above 100 beats per minute, you had to have a strong sympathetic activation. And so it's, it's the interplay between the two. So when the central nervous system isn't fatigued, when it's, it's very responsive, you're going to see a lot of heart rate variability. And measuring We're talking that, milliseconds. Right. You can't measure it yourself. You have to have a device that measures this. And really interestingly, and again, so there's these studies, I'm going to butcher this name, but it's this Kivan Niemi, <laughs> Dr. Kivan Niemi. I, I apologize to him if he's listening right now. I know I just butchered your name. But he published two studies in 2007 and 2010 where he took two groups one group followed a standard periodized pre-planned training plan. They basically said, here's what you're doing each week. Here's what you're doing each day. Then he had another group. Their training was based on their heart rate variability. So every morning they would measure the heart rate variability. And you would take a, you'd take a 10-day moving average because you get a lot of change in heart rate variability day to day. But you're looking for those general trends. And based on where their heart rate variability was at, they would be told that day to either 
increase their, you know, to go out and do a hard session or to go and do an easy session. And what they found was at the end of the study or both studies, the group that followed the standard training plan and the, the group that used heart rate variability, they did about the same level of high intensity training. But the group using heart rate variability to determine when they could go hard shows, uh, saw significantly greater improvements. Yeah, I mean, I think that's super interesting to see how kind of the quality of your training, the timing of your training can make a really big difference. And for me, I think the one thing you said that that resonates a lot that I think a lot of people miss is you were talking about the 10-day the average for heart availability. And I think when you're using these measuring devices, it's so easy to wake up one morning and, and see the data and, and make really big changes based on that one data point. But I, I do think it's really important to recognize that with all of these things, they're indicators and they're data points, but that they they gain value and validity over time and when taken as data points in a trend. Um, so for me, I use my heart variability a lot to influence my training, but you know, I'm not going to just wake up one morning and it went down a lot and done. I don't train that day. Um, it's more of having a complete picture of how it's changing and, and what that might mean for my training schedule moving forward. Yeah. I remember we had Frank Overton on the show. He said, if he has one beer at night, his heart rate variability the next morning tanks. Really? And that's certainly not in, uh, Yeah. Uh, well, he's, actually, he's a bit, he's a bit older than you, Kate. So he's, um, poor he's guy. Things, yeah. <laughs> I luckily have not seen that, that trend. I'm obviously not a, a beer girl cause I'm gluten free, but yeah, but it's it's going to what you're saying. There are a lot of things that can contribute to one morning seeing heart rate variability or resting heart rate skyrocket or tank. And it isn't necessarily an indicator that you need rest. You need to take time off the bike. You're, you're looking for that trend over time. Whoop is the performance tool that is changing the way people track their fitness and optimize their training. Whoop provides a wrist-worn heart rate monitor that pairs to their app to provide analytics and insights on things like recovery, strain, and sleep. Know when your body is recovered or when it needs rest by getting to know your nervous system through heart rate variability and quality of sleep. Automatically track workouts and get strain scores to let you know how strenuous training was on your body and see even more data like average heart rate, max heart rate, and calories burned. Get optimal sleep times based on how strenuous your day was and track sleep performance with insights into things like your sleep cycles and stages of sleep, sleep quality, and sleep consistency. Whoop monitors heart rate 100 times per second, 24-7 to give you full insight into your day so you can optimize the way you train. Whoop has provided an offer for our listeners to get 15% off their purchase with the code FASTTALK. That's F-A-S-T capital T-A-L-K. Just go to whoop.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com, and use the code FASTTALK to save 15% and optimize the way you train. But we're really now getting into that, this is that German physiologist who's checking you out every morning and telling you whether you're ready or not. In heart rate variability, you can now buy devices that will do this. Uh, back then in the 80s, they probably didn't just have a, a heart rate monitor that you could put on to, to measure these things. Kate, let's let's talk about the Whoop strap, which I know you use. And it 
not only looks at heart rate variability, it also looks at resting heart rate, it looks at sleep quality, uses all three to give you basically a recovery score. So do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I would love to. So I started using Whoop as one of the the really, really early adopters. Um, so I've been using it for about two years. And it was, it kind of coincided with when I graduated college and, and had the opportunity to focus full time on racing. Every year we kind of make goals for the year and what we're going to focus on. And that year, I really wanted to focus on sleep and recovery. Uh, and part of the idea behind that was just that with added time and not being in school, I could train a lot harder. And all of a sudden I had, you know, free time during the day. And I think um, I really identified recovery as the thing that would allow me to push the limits without getting ahead of myself that year. And Whoop luckily came out right around then. And, and I was able to get connected with them through my coach and start using their device to measure heart rate variability, my sleep, and, and to get that data that I'd never been able to get before to really hone in on what contributed to my recovery and, and what types of things I could do to control it and manage it and allow me to push a lot harder in training. Having used it myself, Trevor, you've used it too. Uh, for me, one of the, the critical things is really helping you think about these things. And, and Kate, it sounds like you came at it from um, the opposite direction in some ways. You, you made that a goal to understand your recovery better and to get more sleep better. And then lo and behold, there's a device that helps you do that. Whereas other people might uh, not really have that as a goal, but they might want to train harder. They get a whoop and then they're fascinated in a way by that data. Um, look, at, look at what I've done look at what I can do in terms of recovery, in terms of strain to improve. How did I sleep last night? What did I do before I went to bed? Did that lead to better sleep or worse sleep? It, start, it really it helps you, um, if nothing else, it helps you analyze what you do and um, what impact that has both on strain and recovery. And I think that in general makes any athlete a better athlete. I think as an athlete who's particularly interested in data potentially to a fault. Um, you know, I love power meters and, and hurry monitors and, and just analysis over time of that data. Having something to really quantify recovery was really new for me and it led to a lot of behavior change. So one really big thing that I took out of Whoop was napping, um, which is something I, I never really did partially because I was in school, but also it just never really occurred to me that it could be so important. But mapping the strain on my body and the amount of time that I need to sleep and how I can also kind of take recovery periods during the day was super interesting to me. And seeing, for example, I do a lot of double days, particularly in the fall and being able to do a gym workout and then get 30 to 45 minutes of sleep and then do my ride, I saw huge differences in my recovery, but also in my sleep needs. So it really helped me like get ahead and, and feel like I was winning this recovery game that Whoop kind of sets up for you. Chris can tell you, because uh, as, as you know, I've coached him on and off through the years. Something that's really important to me with my athletes is I, I ask them every week to assess their recovery. This whole idea of that stress and then recover, stress and then recover is the whole foundation of how I train or coach. Um, well, also how I train, but it's also how I coach my athletes. There are so many tools to measure the stress. 
we've been looking for ways to 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 measure that recovery and you know personally i've been i've had a few of my athletes use it and, and have found it very valuable the, i just recently had this this story with an athlete where uh, i've had him using the whoop strap for a while and he's an athlete who he, he never really understood just how hard this sport is how much it's supposed to hurt so when i first started working with him he was constantly telling me oh, that really hurt. Is something wrong? Those intervals really hurt. I'm feeling a lot of fatigue. Is this wrong? And didn't really realize that was kind of normal. So I admit I got a little impatient and just started going, you're fine. Keep pushing. You're fine. Keep pushing. Stop telling me about the fatigue. Stop telling me about the pain. But we And he's gotten a lot better about this, but we had this incident about a month ago where we had done a big fatiguing week. So again, I, I really wanted to, to overload him. Then we did a recovery week. And at the end of the recovery week, I said, let's get back to training. He was saying intervals aren't quite right. Something doesn't quite feel right. And I admit, I normally would have said, okay, you're, you're over aware of the pain again, push through. But then he pointed out, because he'd been using the whoop strap, whoop strap has me in the red. And it rarely ever had him in the red. So we took a look at that and said, you're right. You're not recovered yet. That recovery week was not sufficient. And we had him do another about half week of recovery. And then we slowly eased into it and it kept him on track. If I hadn't had that data, I would have read him wrong. And that was a a real big moment for me because sometimes you get caught up a little too much by your own personal biases to have something that can actually show it to you is immensely invaluable. Oh, I was just curious because I think this is something we're all we're all learning. Like we haven't had this data previously. And I think something I talk a lot with my coach about is is just that idea of overreaching and and when is it okay to be in the red. Do you find with whoop, are you often seeing athletes like be under recovered for a period of time that's planned? Or are you really responsive to those like red days? So it depends. It goes back to what I was saying is you have to have those overload periods. So those I plan out. I don't plan out the day to day, but we'll have a week where we say, okay, we really want to beat you up this week. And we want you coming out of this week fatigued. And that's where I actually want to see the whoop score going down if they're using a whoop. That helps me a bit to, to see it saying, yeah, you're, you're fatiguing. You need to back down. If we're in a typical week where I want them to be staying in balance, and you start seeing the whoop score get red, then we need to adjust. Then we, then we need to do something different. But it depends on, on what we're trying to accomplish with the week. But it does, like I saw with that other athlete, is it gives you something a little more objective to say the, the stress recovery is out of balance or it's in a good balance, um, more than just going with feeling. Completely. And I, I love that perspective because I think that's something – as an athlete who uses Whoop and, and people know I use it, they ask me a lot about that. And that's really my coach's philosophy on it as well. And I think my personal philosophy on it is all the all the hashtags are hashtag in the green. And, and I feel like I want a hashtag in the red, which is, you know, a testament to those periods of overreaching. And, and we really use it, I think, most in those periods where I'm planning to be undercovered, but also need to manage it really, really closely to make sure that we dig the right amount of a hole. And that's, that is so key because you want to dig into a hole, but there's a certain point where you go too deep into that hole and then you can't come. It goes back to what you were saying before of when they took people to a point of being overreached 
but not so deep that they still couldn't hit the numbers. They, they really saw a big jump in their form. If they went too deep and then they really got that neurological fatigue, they couldn't hit the numbers anymore. At best, they just eventually returned to their old levels. So you, you want to find that point. Yeah, no, and, and finding that point is, is obviously very tricky. And WHOOP is a huge, valuable data point in that. But I think also, in general, I would say I, th- I think people are really scared of overtraining and really scared to push themselves. And I think for me, having this data is, is something that makes me feel I'm able to more accurately track that overreaching. And so I'm, I'm less afraid to push it, knowing that we kind of, kind of have a handle on it and are managing it. And actually, so my, my biggest training block of the year usually is this hilarious thing we came up with called the Kate Epic. And this year it was six days, about 100 plus miles a day, 90 to 100 miles a day. So um, it was a 37-hour week, which was pretty challenging. But what actually ended up happening is my whoop score tanked day three. You know, I'm going, I'm in the green, I'm in the green, I'm in the orange, I'm in the red. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, man, is this, is this a problem? And what ended up happening is my body actually really adapted to the training. And by the end, I was back um, in the upper orange and on the last day in the green and was able to recover really well from that block. So I think being aware and cognizant of the strain you're putting on your body is what's really needed for that adaptation, um, but also not being afraid to get in the red. Right. Well, I think also what's nice is you can look at the different factors that are contributing to being in the red. It looks at heart rate variability. It looks at sleep quality. It looks at resting heart rate. And it looks at the amount of strain that you're doing. Um, And if you're going into the red, but but that's because you're at a big stage race and you are putting huge strain on the body and you're not seeing those other factors tank a ton, then you can say, well, this is just because I'm doing big, big training, but my body seems to be handling okay. So right now it's okay that I'm in the red a little bit. Is that a good way to look at it? Is that how, how you would use it? Completely. Yeah, I think that's a really a, a balanced perspective. And especially with that, you know, one day in the red thing, I think having the perspective that it's the aggregate data can really really valuable because maybe you wake up the next day and you're still able to train hard. Um and as I saw in my training block somehow, and, and who knows physiologically exactly what was happening here, but one day I'm in the red, I do my hard training day still, and the next day I actually improved, felt better, and adapted really well to that block. So I think if you, if you cut yourself off really early at the sign of fatigue, um, you're not allowing that overloading and that adaptation that is really critical to making progress. That's a really important point. Back in episode 45, we had Matt Casson, a top coach at Apex Coaching, and Frank Overton, the owner of FastCat Coaching, on the show talking about recovery. They had some interesting points about feel versus metrics, and that sometimes you need to be in the red. Frank actually brought up the whoop strap, which the rest of us hadn't heard of at the time. Uh, how do you have your athletes uh, monitor their recovery? Are there metrics? Is it feel? What are, what are your techniques? Pretty much 100% feel for, for all the athletes I work with. That that really, you know, at the, at the end of the day, if you wake up and you feel good and your Garmin is telling you you need another 48 hours of recovery, start your workout. And if you feel fine, then, then keep going with it. I think 
just like people get overly obsessed with numbers in a certain interval set, people also get obsessed with, you know, they see their training plan. They see this is the workout I have to do today. And so then they just, they just kind of dig their head in and kind of ignore how they feel. So I, one of the most important things I always stress with my athletes is just listen to your body. And if it's, if you're tired, you're tired for a reason. If you got three hours of sleep last night, then okay, you need to take that into consideration. But I just, I don't think that the, those metrics are accurate enough to just forego listening to your own body and just listen to what a lot of the wearable technology stuff, a lot of that, what that tells you to do. I don't think that there's enough information there to individualize that to where you should override your own personal feeling on that day. Frank, how do you feel? I I coach recovery techniques. Um, You know, the fundamentals, sleep, rest, nutrition, well-designed training plan, there is a new device that I've been using and having my recommended my athletes it's called a whoop and it's a wearable that is like a combination heart rate monitor and, and Fitbit and it produces a recovery score. And so you wake up in the morning, you look at your whoop and it's, it gives you a recovery score. And if you're 80%, you know, you're going to be good to go. But if you, you know, if you got three hours of sleep, your whoop score is going to be low. If your uh, heart rate is elevated in the morning from, past training that's going to factor into your whoop score and, and if they've got a really nice app and a, a user interface and athletes will um, use their whoop score and uh, to gauge how well they're doing at getting good sleep recovering it'll even it, it, it'll even divvy out your REM sleep and uh, you know just restless sleep it'll tell you how many times you've been restless in the night if you got off in the in the middle of the night to use the bathroom or if you um, laid in bed for an hour and a half before you actually fell asleep. Things like that. It'll, you know, if you drink alcohol the night before, it'll affect your sleep and the, the whoop score can capture that. So it really teaches athletes a lot about their bodies and what maybe, you know, how to optimize their recovery um, from just their lifestyle. And you found it's, it's pretty accurate or it works well with your athletes? <laughs> you know, it, it I don't know if there's enough science out there about that. I mean, you can't say, oh, you know, it's plus or minus 1.5% like an SRM. I think the value of the whoop is it gets athletes to start thinking about going to bed early, um, eating better nutrition, you know, maybe drinking less alcohol if they're, if they're doing that, um, you know, maybe doing a better job at actually sleeping, like, you know, pulling the blinds or um, getting a noisemaker to, to drown out the, the, noise from the city or, you know, just looking at what their quality of sleep is because, you know, sleep is so important. I mean, if you look at, you know, like Team Sky and, you know, marginal gains, they're like, you know, they're trucking in pillows and mattresses, you know, to increase the quality of sleep. And this is something that this, you know, device for everyone can look at. It's like, all right, do you need a new mattress? You know, do you need to fix the air conditioner? Is it too hot? You know, what was if, what's, you know, why are you only getting five hours of sleep a night? You know, shut off your computer, go to bed early, you know, you know, get a better bedtime routine. And so I, I like it because it teaches athletes, you know, they're, they're the ones that come back to me and are like, Oh, my whoop score was low. And mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't feel so hot on the, the workout today. And it, it kind of correlates to, well, you got a poor night's sleep and that's like common sense, but it's, it's a number that gets, it's thought provoking for the athletes. Get some thinking about the recovery and focusing right. on the recovery. It's smart. Yeah. Does that just does it just measure movement in the night to determine sleep quality? Uh, that's you know I can't imagine it doing anything more than that. I mean it's it you know it's heart rate 
And uh, that's got to be in the fact. Um, they, somewhere in the science, but it's, it's a good one. It's better than a, like a Garmin v, like this mm-hmm. or a Fitbit that just measures your movement and equates that to, to REM sleep. They yeah. actually look at your heart rate and like, you know, does your heart rate elevate or, you know, are you in deep sleep? But I don't actually know the science around it. Cause I know the, the ones that are just based off of movement. Yeah. I've very, I used one for like eight months and then like, I think a, a paper came out that said that it yeah. doesn't actually act. I was pretty devastated because. <laughs> well, if you like watch a movie in bed, like you could watch a movie for like two hours, and your it device you're thinks you're asleep. Yeah, and yeah. You're like, sweet, I got twelve hours of sleep, <laughs> but that's not it. But I think yeah. the whoop does better than that. Yeah, I just don't know how. Yeah, I, I think one thing with I know with you know some some athletes can get pretty neurotic, and again, you know there there can be an over emphasis on numbers, and I know that uh, one team I had specifically like. You could tell he he would take that his recovery metric like he'd oh, take yeah. it really seriously. And be like, oh well, I'm I'm pretty wrecked, so I'm not going to go on the group ride with you guys today. Like, I'm just gonna. It's like, well, did you feel bad, or are you seeing a number that says you should feel bad, and now you feel bad? And and at the same time, there are there are phases in a training cycle where like you should wake up and you should feel tired and beat up, and you should go out and ride your bike. Yep. And so there needs to be. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know about that specific. But like if there is, there needs to be some correlation of, okay, if this is a workout you're doing, then a score of 60 is fine. But if you're doing some other workout, then a score of 60 means don't, don't do it. Yeah. There's times where you got to dig in and follow the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Independent of, like we expect you to be knackered. Yeah. Let's get back to the show. Kate, have you been able to use the 3.0 strap that has this new strain coach feature? Yeah, I have it on right now. Okay. <laughs> well, um, perhaps you could actually speak to that strain coach feature and talk about how it sort of helps you plan out your workouts. And, and, and it shows, what is it? It shows your strain in it build up in real time. So you know, when you've hit your goal for the day, is that, is that correct? Yeah, I think for me, that's less of a feature that I'm using just because my workouts are pretty planned out. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so it's more of feedback after the fact for me, but I think for someone who is using whoop as their primary kind of coaching platform or, or their platform to really assess the load they're putting on their body, um, it's, it's an incredible feature and it's going to make it a lot more valuable, both in terms of understanding the recovery, but again, getting more and more information about what that load is. One of the new features in the 3.0, and I actually just read a really good white paper that they put up about this, is this, what they're calling their strain coach. And that's based in, and let's see how many ways I can butcher this name, Kevin Niemi. Sound good? <laughs> uh, sure. They, they, they referenced his studies. Here's another name that I can butcher. There was a 2016 study that, that continued that research by Vesterinen. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Uh, we will put these, these references up. <laughs> can we just get some American <laughs> researchers, please? Uh, or Canadians. I can pronounce Or Canadians. I can pronounce that. That study found similar things, but they actually found when they had their, their subjects do their training based on, on heart rate variability, that the heart rate variability group actually did less high-intensity training. It was more variable when they did their high-intensity training. But again, they saw greater gains. So 
Whoop with this new strap has really taken all this research, looked at how the recommendations were made using heart rate variability, using rest, resting heart rate to, to modify training to get better gains. And they've now built this into this 3.0 strap. So if you use it, it's going to tell you every day, you're ready to do high intensity intervals today, go out and kill yourself. Or it's going to tell you, no, you shouldn't break 150 watts, go and do a spin and get beat by very out of shape people on the bike path. That is a nice feature because essentially this is putting that German physiologist on your wrist. You don't need to have them crashing on your couch and talking to you every morning. That would be really weird and heavy. <laughs> well, be nice to have your own personal German physiologist, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be. Well, you, you're single, Trevor. Um, it might be weird at my house. Yeah, that's okay. You, 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 you could do double duty with babysitting. <laughs> that's true. Yes, if the German yeah. physiologist would occasionally let my wife and I go out to dinner while he watched Annika, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, one other thing with the whoop strap that I think is underappreciated, but especially for elite athletes is, is critical is that the strain is 24 seven. So it really assesses not only, you know, the specific workouts that I'm doing, but also just overall life strain. And that's something that I think I've learned a lot about using whoop and that's changed some of my habits. So we talk a lot. I, I talk with my sports psychologist about energy management and understanding that when you get off the bike, you might have used your entire day's worth of energy and gotten that 20.5 strain already in that five-hour day. And that's there's obviously a lot more than five hours in a day. So being able to manage your recovery time and keep the strain from maybe non-sport-related activities low uh, is something that I think is also really valuable. That is such an important point because I have seen this with athletes where you tell them, okay, this is a recovery week. And they think recovery week, okay, I get off the bike. But then they spend that week running around, doing errands, uh, partying, doing all these other things. And they're actually still putting a big strain on their body. It just doesn't happen to be on the bike. And they get to the end of the week and they say, I'm not recovered. I don't know why. Oh, and by the way, I was out dancing for five hours last night. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's really, it's really easy to fall into that trap. And I think Something for me that's also difficult is as athletes, we feel best when we're moving our body and when we're doing something and coming home, especially for me this past week, coming home from a huge trip in Europe, both those World Cups, a really exciting time. And then having rest week, your first inclination is, oh, I'm going to hike and I'm going to go to yoga and I'm going to go have lunch with my friends. Um, and actually like really trying to learn from from past years and and take advantage of this recovery I had a few days where I did nothing and it's really hard to mentally to do that. And it's, it's not as fun, but I think I saw a huge value in it and that was reflected in my whoop scores. I had, you know, I kind of bounced right back into the green when I did really take those days off and, and give my more so my mind the time to do nothing and recover and be prepared for this next block that's coming. When I spoke with Hushang Amiri, I asked him how he tells when his athletes are out of balance in that stress recovery balance. Notice that while he uses their training files to look for neurological fatigue, some of the best indicators are off the bike, like sleep, mood, and heart rate variability. I think there are some indications that uh, we follow. Usually, the athlete coach, they have 
logbook, they have to indicate, for example, their morning resting heart rate or heart rate variability in the mornings, the sleep quality, the appetite and, and, and willingness to training. Those are that feelings we record. And sometimes when I look at their files, basically using Golden Cheetah or Training Peak, looking at their neurological fatigue, those uh, softwares doing really well. Working for me, I'm working with those softwares more than decades, almost two decades. I know that it gives me ideas where stress levels are. However, with that being said, those softwares they don't measure social or other stress outside physical physical stress, and that's why we need those app questionnaire answers in daily basis that's making sure they are staying top of the game. What are the things that you look for to see the neurological fatigue? Outside of the, those softwares that analyze uh, athletes' heart rate, power, and speed, etc. I look at the, as, as I said, uh, morning resting heart rates. And most important part is sleep pattern. Are they falling asleep right away, or it takes time to fall asleep? When they fall asleep, they're waking up overnight. Or if they don't, if they're waking up how many times? So those are has to do with neurological stress. For example, if they train too hard or they're too fatigued, and or training is too close to the bedtime, most likely they're going to fall asleep pretty fast, but what's going to happen, they're going to keep waking up. And uh, sometimes I've seen, you know, athletes, uh, they say, you know, has a dream that falling off from the roof or etc. Those all has to do with uh, neurological fatigue. And, and uh, sometimes physical fatigue is delays the falling asleep. They can lay on the bed and uh, not falling asleep. Um, lose of weight, body weight. They're losing too much body weight, and and the appetite. You know, they sometimes they don't want to eat just because of the fatigue level. The mood, how they respond to the questions. There is no or in regular conversations. There is no doubt when athletes under stress you can tell that they're pretty nervous and they can't really tolerate anything. And they, usually they are jumpy on the answers, etc. So just recording those helps with uh, modifying the training and making correct adjustments. Let's get back to the show and talk about some of those unusual situations where it may be hard to interpret the recovery data. One thing I'll, I'll quickly point out here, uh, WHOOP gives full credit to this, but elite athletes, very high-level athletes like you, there are some differences. And one of them is very elite endurance athletes tend to have much lower resting heart rates. And there is an interaction between heart rate variability and resting heart rate. And that can lead to something to, that's called parasympathetic saturation which is basically even though the, the parasympathetic side is, is rising, you don't see the normal response. And that can show up in the short run as a drop in heart rate variability 
that makes it look like you're actually not recovering. So just one thing to be aware of. And I, Chris, you saw this in your data. I saw this in my data and we were a little confused by it, but that's because we do a ton of training. So even though I am slow and get beat by kids on tricycles, I technically fit into that more elite category. <laughs> um, when I do a hard training block and then do some recovery in the short run during that recovery week, I'm actually going to see heart rate variability get worse and my, my recovery score get worse. And it's just because of that effect that you see in some athletes. Kate, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen it as much. There was a time when we thought that was showing up around around Worlds last year for a bit. But, um, but yeah, for the most part, my data has been pretty solid and reliable, I guess. My whoop strap hated me. I don't think I ever saw it in the green once because I get no sleep. I'm always overstressing myself. Uh, I actually, unfortunately, lost my whoop strap at the Denver airport. You lost my whoop strap. I lost Chris's. I took it off at security, and one potential explanation here is somebody stole it. Uh, the explanation I actually go with is the whoop strap went freedom and it jumped. It just got out of there. <laughs> so I just can't handle this guy. He never recovers. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be back with yeah. his rightful no, but owner. It also is. It also is interesting though because it runs on like thirty day averages. So if you're like never recovered for thirty days, then if you improve even a little bit, you're improving over your thirty day average, at least. That that's that's fair. That's yeah. Well, well, no. I just I think it's actually really interesting to think about that because, like, for me, for example, um, this month I'll expect to see lower recovery at least for the first few weeks because when I was right before the World Cups, you know, my resting heart rate was thirty eight and my heart rate variability was in the two hundreds. I was, you know, really peaked for those races. Of course, then take a break, and now I'm going to be completely in a hole with the training block. And you have to remember that it's it's using those averages as your baselines and always comparing to that. So it might even overpronounce your under recovery if you're coming out of a block where you're particularly recovered, or if you're coming out of a block where you are really under recovered, it might say that you're you're really doing a lot better. And that's all joking aside. That's a really good point and a good recommendation for anybody who gets one. Uh, the Whoop Stap really tries to get to know each individual and it starts to learn you in those first couple of weeks that you wear it. And one of the mistakes that I did is I started wearing it uh, right during two very atypical weeks. So it didn't quite learn me right. Um, so if you get one of these straps, start wearing it even if you have to wait a little bit, start wearing it when you're at what you would feel, what you would say is typical recovery level doing typical training. So, so it learns a good baseline. Yeah. I, I got one for my dad and uh, my dad started using it in the first like two weeks. I told him, Hey, it's going to take a while. Like just ignore it for the first week. It's getting used to you. And my dad's like sending me screenshots every day. How's my recovery? Am I Okay look how well I slept last night. Oh, I'm dying. Like <laughs> every day. So yeah, so, well, you know, don't get you're too a, alarmed. You're a data nerd, Kate. So you, you probably know where he's coming from. He just was, was geeking out on that stuff. Oh, I get it. I get it from my dad. He's the analyst of the family. So I, I was going to say one of the other things that you, you said made me think of a, a good point about the whoop is that you, start to understand what you should expect to see from the whoop strap and the recovery scores and the, and the strain scores and all the things you expect to see. 
But like we were talking about earlier, way earlier in the program, it's sometimes when something doesn't feel right or something feels wrong that you start to question it. And that's when, you know, instinct kicks in and you, and, um, you might text your coach what's going on or you might – or at the same time, if all of a sudden your whoops shows you something that you weren't expecting – it makes you start to think, oh, what what's going on here? Is something wrong? Do I need to back off? So I, I like the fact that you keep emphasizing the fact that it's about trends. It's about a long-term view. It's aggregating this data over a period of time. And you, can't, you shouldn't necessarily look at it in a silo for a specific day or a specific block, week-long block of, of training. Completely. And, and I would say just don't forget, like the – age old best way to tell how you feel is to just ask yourself how you feel. Um, and the data is really helpful for me, but you still have this other data point, uh, and can reflect on that. And actually when I first started using WIMP, so this is, they don't have this problem anymore, but two years ago started using it and I had these days where I thought there was a problem with the algorithm <laughs> and I would be like, you know, this, this recovery score seems wrong. And I actually worked with the um, product development team and we identified there was a little bit of a backend software issue that was affecting 4% of users and would give us these incorrect recovery scores every once in a while. And I actually thought that was a really interesting moment because I had gotten so kind of used to the data and, and understood what it was measuring to the point that I knew when it was functioning correctly and not. And I think that's you know, a great anecdote of why it's so important to stay in touch with how you feel and to consider the big picture, because there are, you know, data is not always 100% accurate. And there are going to be those days where, I don't know, maybe the strap like was sitting weird on your wrist one night, or maybe it didn't accurately log your sleep, or maybe you just had an off day. And, and those data points might not always be, well, I'll, I'll say it this way they're part of the picture and it's important to maintain the overall perspective. It goes back to what we were saying about interval work, you know, heart rate, power, all these things are a guide, but to a degree, you have to trust how you feel. You can't ignore that. So I know we've been talking a lot about whoop here uh, and just something I want to remind all our listeners and it probably won't be the last time I remind you. We, we, are really big on, we, we never promote a product on the show unless we really believe in it. And, and one of these days we should get our sales rep, Mark, on the show because I'm sure he has some choice words for me about uh, how true we have been to that. And we really reached out to Whoop. And the reason we got excited about it, the reason we've talked about it a few times on these shows exactly on the show is exactly what, uh, what we've been talking about. There are so many tools out there that tell you how hard you're going, that tell you how strong you are. But this is a balance between stress and recovery. And this is really the only tool out there that we've seen that focuses on that balance and really focuses on the recovery side and starts to give you a way to measure that. And to me as a coach who really cares about that recovery side, that's that's something new and that's something exciting. And to me, that's it's, that's more valuable than than buying your third power meter or your fourth set of race wheels. So, Kate, since you're new to this show, we always like to challenge our guests to take all that we've spoken about, all of their thoughts on the subject, and wrap it up into sixty seconds to sort of encapsulate 
the uh, essence of the episode. So we're going to put you on the spot. We're going to have you go first. So you've got 60 seconds. Whenever you're ready, go ahead. The one takeaway I think that's most important is that recovery and training is both a science and an art. And for me, it's really helpful to have that data, but I think always keeping the big perspective and the big picture in terms of recovery and how your entire life is structured around what you're doing um, is really critical in having not only those short-term gains, but in having consistency and being able to have your sport be a successful part of your life in the long run. Trevor, why don't you, uh, why don't you give us your one-minute takeaway? So I think my one minute might actually be 20 seconds because I'm going to say this really concisely. The art of training is to remember that training does damage. It is in recovery that you rebuild and get stronger. So there's two sides to this equation and you need to be as intense and dedicated in your recovery as you are in your training. Uh, pretty well, all of our listeners have invested a ton of money and time into measuring that stress side. Put some time into measuring and, and keeping track of that recovery side. Chris, what's yours? I, I don't want to flatter Kate too much, but I really think that some of the things that she said, um, the way that she thinks about balancing training and stress and recovery and all of the elements that go into it, were incredible. You know, it, she serves as a great example of how to get the most out of yourself. If that's what you're looking for, if you're looking to improve performance, think about what she said in terms of assessing all of the things when you're out on a ride, taking all of this data, analyzing it, using the tools that you have available to you, um, working with your coach, working with your village, having support, making sure you get all the fun that you can in there hurting yourself when you need to hurt yourself, recovering, setting up your life in a way to maximize the way that you can recover and plan it out really well. And I mean, hey, she's a world champion. She must be doing something right. So she's a good example to follow. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> that was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at velonews.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. Fast Talk is a joint production between Vela News and Connor Coaching. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Trevor Connor, Kate Courtney, Hushang Amiri, Phil Guyman, Matt Casson, Frank Overton, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening. Thanks.